Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 3 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 199 is entitled The Inflation Reduction Act for Dummies, Part 2, The Land of Laputa. Okay, assuming you have listened to Podcast 197, The Inflation Reduction Act for Dummies, How Taxpayers View Inflation Reduction, in which I explained inflation from the common person's point of view. I shall now turn my thoughts to Congress and look at things from Congress's point of view. In this podcast, I should like to show a precedent for Congress by comparing our government to the government of a country that existed 300 years ago, as described by Lemuel Gulliver and recorded in Gulliver's Travels. The reason I think it is necessary to compare Congress to the governors of the land of Laputia is so that you will not think that our Congress is without precedent. I thought if you saw that the rulers of other sovereign nations acted just like our Congress, you would have more compassion. Probability dictates that two such governments could not act with the same mindless irresponsibility that some disaffected citizens are charging against our high leaders. If two countries act exactly alike, there is the greater possibility that there is some intelligence behind their behavior. It is a historical fact that highly intelligent people often appear odd. They may stumble over words or forget where they are or repeat phrases infinitely without apparent purpose and cannot always explain their behavior in ordinary terms. I think it may give you peace to know our government leaders have a great deal in common with the people of Laputia and instill in you a desire, perhaps, to show more compassion for apparent aberrations. Comparison number one. Just as members of our Congress live on the moon that floats above the earth, the king lives on an island that floats above the mainland. And although, like our congressmen, the aristocracy have mansions below, they spend the majority of their time on the floating island. And just as the moon is held into orbit by the gravitational pull of the earth, The floating island is held into orbit by the gravitational pull of the land of Laputia. In addition, just as our Congress lives in luxury and do not have to worry about the economic woes of the inferior taxpayers below, so do the king and aristocracy live in luxury and do not have to worry about the economic woes of the inferior taxpayers below. In fact, just as Congress commingles with commoners only by necessity once in a while, so do the king and aristocracy of the land of Laputia co-mingle with commoners only by necessity once in a while. But at the same time, the reader can hardly conceive my astonishment to behold an island in the air inhabited by men who were able, as it should seem, to raise or sink or put it into progressive motion as they pleased, but not being at the time in a disposition to philosophize upon this phenomenon I rather choose to observe what course the island would take, because it seemed for a while to stand still. Yet soon after, it advanced nearer, and I could see the sides of it encompassed with several gradations of galleries and stairs 
at certain intervals to descend from one to the other. The number of people increased, and in less than half an hour, the island was moved and raised in such a manner that the lowest gallery appeared in a parallel of less than a hundred yards distance from the height where I stood. Comparison number two. Just as the rulers of our Congress are made up of the educated elite and are so caught up in their agenda that they do not consider the wishes of the people, so are the rulers of Laputia made up of the educated elite and are so caught up in their agenda that they do not consider the wishes of the people. At last we entered the palace and proceeded into the chamber of presence where I saw the king seated on his throne, attended on each side by persons of prime quality. Before the throne was a large table filled with globes and spheres and mathematical instruments of all kinds. His Majesty took not the least notice of us, although our entrance was not without sufficient noise by the concourse of all the persons belonging to the court. But he was then deep in a problem, and we attended at least an hour before he could solve it. Comparison number three. It has often been noted that our own leaders are governed by others who pull the strings. There is a great deal of speculation about who is running the government. The same is true in the government of Laputia as demonstrated by the king of Laputia and his ruling aristocracy. However, just as with our Congress, it is not from weakness, it is from intellectual strength caused by intense concentration of abstruse theories little related to reality. On the island above Laputia, the government leaders hire flappers to remind them when they should listen to others and when they should speak to others. I observed here and there many in the habit of servants with a blown bladder fastened like a flail to the end of a stick, which they carried in their hands. In each bladder was a small quantity of dried peas or little pebbles, as I was afterward informed. With these bladders, they now and then flapped the mouth and ears of those who stood near them, of which practice I could not then conceive the meaning. It seems the minds of these people are so taken up with intense speculations that they neither can speak or attend to the discourses of others without being roused by some external taction upon the organs of speech and hearing. For which reason those persons who are able to afford it always keep a flapper in their family as one of their domestics, nor ever walk abroad or make visits without him. And the business of this officer is, when two or three or more persons are in company, gently to strike with the bladder the mouth of him who is to speak, and the right ear of him or them to whom the speaker addresses himself. This flapper is likewise employed diligently to attend his master in his walks, and upon occasions to give him a soft flap on his eyes, because he is always so wrapped up in cognition that he is in manifest danger of falling down every precipice and bouncing his head against every post, and in the streets of jostling others, or being jostled himself into the kennel. I take occasion to give such detail because, as I am sure you have noticed, our president and his congress are also surrounded by many flappers. Comparison number three. As we have noticed from time to time, our own high leaders appear forgetful. That too has its precedent among the governors of Laputia. 
In fact, the elite Laputians on the floating island have notoriously short attention spans. Their heads are so in the clouds they cannot concentrate on anything for long. They may even break off in the middle of a sentence and change the subject. That is another reason for hiring flappers. Let me be perfectly clear. This is no joke. It is not that they are stupid. It is that their thoughts are on such a higher level that they don't have time to deal with mundane things like balancing a checkbook. I am once again reminded of the text from Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your thoughts are not my thoughts, saith Congress. For as the moon is higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and my ways than your ways. Gulliver continues, While we were ascending, they forgot several times what they were about, and left me to myself, till their memories were again roused by their flappers. For they appeared altogether unmoved by the sight of my foreign habit and countenance, and by the shouts of the vulgar, whose thoughts and minds were more disengaged. So, you understand the connection. You, the taxpayer, are considered the vulgar. Comparison number four. It may appear odd, but, as our high leaders from time to time appear forgetful, not remembering what they have just said, or what they have recently promised, so it is with the rulers of Laputia. In fact, as with our rulers, the rulers of Laputia are not only forgetful, but often seem to fall into a comatose state. However, as with our leaders, it is not from senility as it may appear, but from intense concentration on affairs too difficult for the common man to comprehend. There stood by him on each side a young page with flaps in their hands, and when they saw he was at leisure, one of them gently struck his mouth and the other his right ear, at which he started like one awakened on the sudden, and looked toward me and the company I was in, recollected the occasion of our coming, whereof he had been informed before. Comparison number five. Like the liberals in Congress today, the rulers of Laputia were so caught up in their own agenda that they could no longer relate to the common people. These people are under continual disquietudes, never enjoying a minute's peace of mind, and their disturbances proceed from causes which very little affect the rest of mortals. Comparison number six. Like the liberals of our own day, the elite of Laputia were absolutely immobilized by the fear of global warming. Swift reports. Their apprehensions arise from several changes they dread in the celestial bodies. For instance, that the earth, by the continual approaches of the sun towards it, must in course of time be absorbed or swallowed up that the face of the sun will by degrees be encrusted with its own effluvia and give no more light to the world, that the earth very narrowly escaped a brush from the tail of the last comet, which would have infallibly reduced it to ashes, and that the next, which they have calculated for one in thirty years hence, will probably destroy us. For if in its perihelion it should approach within a certain degree of the sun, as by their calculations they have reason to dread, it will receive a degree of heat ten thousand times more intense than that of red-hot glowing iron, and in its absence from the sun, carrying a blazing tail ten hundred thousand and fourteen miles long, through which, if the earth should pass at the distance of one hundred thousand miles from the nucleus, or main body of the comet, 
it must in its passage be set on fire and reduced to ashes. That the sun, daily spending its rays without any nutrient to supply them, will at last be wholly consumed and annihilated, which must be attended with the destruction of this earth and of all the planets that receive their light from it. Comparison number seven. Like Congress today, the leaders of Laputia were so alarmed about global warming that they could think of nothing else. They even disregarded important matters of state, such as the suffering of the commoners below, or inflation, or border invasion, or crime. They are so perpetually alarmed with the apprehensions of these and the like impending dangers that they can neither sleep quietly in their beds nor have any relish for the common pleasures and amusements of life. When they meet an acquaintance in the morning, the first question is about the son's health, how he looked at his setting and rising, and what hopes they have to avoid the stroke of the approaching comet. This conversation they are apt to run into with the same temper that boys discover in delighting to hear terrible stories of spirits and hobgloblins which they greedily listen to and dare not go to bed for fear. Comparison number eight. Like Congress, Laputian governors were obsessed with acquiring more money and moved swiftly and heavy-handedly if people did not pay their taxes on time or if the peasants below disagreed with their policies. Their tactics differ only in kind. Rather than hire 88,000 additional IRS agents to collect taxes, they have a more efficient, if not more unusual, method of coercion. The rulers live on an island that floats above Laputia. Therefore, they bring the commoners below into subjection in a rather ingenious way. Swift records. If any town should engage in rebellion or mutiny, fall into violent factions, or refuse to pay the usual tribute, the king has two methods of reducing them to obedience. The first and the mildest course is by keeping the island hovering over a town and the lands about it, whereby he can deprive them of the benefit of the sun and the rain and consequently afflict the inhabitants with dearth and diseases. And if the crime deserves it, they are at the same time pelted from above with great stones, against which they have no defense, but by creeping into cellars or caves while the roofs of their houses are beaten to pieces. But if they still continue obstinate or offer to raise insurrections, he proceeds to the last remedy by letting the island drop directly upon their heads, which makes a universal destruction both of houses and men. The only problem with the latter action is that just as the President and the Vice President of America are the only ones who live permanently in Washington, in Laputia only the king lives permanently on the island. The aristocracy have homes below, and any damage to the hovels of the commoners may damage their mansions. However, this is an extremity to which the prince is seldom driven. Neither indeed is he willing to put it into execution, nor dare his ministers advise him to an action which, as it would render them odious to the people, so it would be a great damage to their own estates, which all lie below, for the island is the king's domain. Comparison number nine. Just as the president and members of Congress focus only on their political agenda, 
So it is with the king and members of the aristocracy of Laputia. Their heads were all reclined, either to the right or the left. One of their eyes turned inward and the other directly up to the zenith. Their outward garments were adorned with the figures of suns, moons, and stars, interwoven with those of fiddles, flutes, harps, trumpets, guitars, harpsichords, and many other instruments of music unknown to us in Europe. Comparison number 10. Finally, as with both sovereign nations, there is no direct connection between the rulers and their subjects. In America, we only have communication with our rulers during election time. Since a king and his aristocracy are not elected, the following is how they communicate with the taxpayers. In our journey toward Legado, the capital city, His Majesty ordered that the island should stop over certain towns and villages from whence he might receive the petitions of his subjects. And to this purpose, several pack threads were let down, with small weights at the bottom. On these pack threads, the people strung their petitions, which mounted up directly, like the scraps of paper fastened by schoolboys, at the end of the string that holds their kite. It has been my intent that by presenting the peculiar habits of like sovereign nations, you will be more sympathetic to our own government. Our president, vice president, and members of Congress are students of history. And unlike those of us who must live on solid ground in the present, they understand the necessity of living elevated lives. How else can they change our mindset and lift us up to their level? In the next podcast, I shall boldly defend Congress by appealing to the ancient philosopher Zeno and show how Zeno's paradox exonerates Congress from any appearance of stupidity. If that is not convincing, in the podcast that follows Zeno's paradox, I shall use the Dirac equation set forth by the Nobel Prize winner Paul Dirac. Please join us next time. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.